resisting the pressures of paganism. Romans 12 verse 1 to 2 declares, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I don't know how many people noticed last year the Birmingham Commonwealth Games opening ceremony, which was blatantly religious. In fact, it was, many people described it as Baal worship and Moloch worship. It was this huge mechanical bull with a woman riding the beast and all kinds of biblical imagery and people dancing around and worshipping, making horned symbols and uh, bowing down and lifting up shards of light and there was just no end of all kinds of Illuminati and Luciferian occultic imagery. I mean, it was blatant paganism, blatant occultism. It was bowing down to this bull, this beast, but, which, remember, the Israelites were tempted into worshipping the golden calf and presenting their children to Moloch and Baal, uh, literally going up to Alton and presenting their firstborn child as a sacrifice in order to guarantee prosperity and large crops and harvests and all the rest of it. And this Moloch worship, this worshipping the bull, uh, a man-like creature with a bull head and sacrificing babies, you know, thinking abortion, everything like this. And through the centuries, you can see often pagan festivals have brought back the worshipping of the bull. And so suddenly in Birmingham, in the Commonwealth Games, they have this, who knows how much it cost them? I believe it cost millions to put on this extravaganza spectacle of leading the people in what was blatant, paganistic, Luciferian, occultic type of worship. Now we know that uh, in Hollywood, Los Angeles, uh, Anton LaVey in the 1960s launched the Church of Satan, and quite a lot of Hollywood people went there. And there have been city councils that have erected Moloch-type, Satanic-type of um, a Baphomet and other kinds of gods. And there's such a revival of occultism in the media, in music industry. You get the political leaders in America, apparently every political leader in the United States in the recent years, with the exception of Donald Trump, has gone to the Bohemian Grove, where they stand before some massive idol of some owl, and they have fire ceremonies and sacrifices. And it's, it's pretty perverse and secretive and weird, and you wonder what on earth is going. So, uh, the call from Romans 13 is to resist the propaganda, to resist the peer pressure, to resist the pressure to conform to this world. Have you noticed the word Hollywood. Do you know that druids make their wands to do magic enchantment out of holly wood? It's it's a type of wood which they make wands for for magicians and witches and warlocks and all that sort of thing. So, I mean, even the name of Hollywood, it makes you wonder. Revelation 17, 14 declares, they will make war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will overcome them because he is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. Plainly, there are those who are waging war against God and against Christian symbols. I don't know if you've noticed how many occultic Illuminati type of symbols come out with popular musicians and Hollywood stars and 
pop idols and sex idols and music idols and whatever other kind of idols there are out there. There's a lot of occultic imagery and words in music. But it's not just pop music. I mean, if you've paid attention to some Disney films like, uh, like Frozen, which looks nice, but why is there this plain occultic hexagram on the shield? And the Let It Go song has got real lesbian and other kinds of overtones in it. And why must they take a nice children's animated film and then insert all kinds of occultic imagery in it? It's not just that one. There's a lot of Walt Disney films that people have said, can you see how many occultic imageries get sneaked in? Now, you think you're giving your children some nice, harmless, family-friendly child entertainment, and yet, well, some people said you can almost see a 666 in in their uh, corporate image. There's a surprising amount of occultism in witchcraft inserted into nice Disney films, everything from Sleeping Beauty onwards, and some of it looks subtle, these days getting a lot more blatant. There's a lot of occultism in Christian music as well, a lot of symbols and words that you wonder, what is this doing in... Now, they call it contemporary Christian music, but it's more like commercial Christian music, and... One wonders. Ephesians 5, 15 to 16 declares, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Has that ever been more relevant than now? Our days are evil. We're living in an evil age, dwelling amongst the people of unclean lips, living in a society where everything goes, blasphemy, perversion, <laughs> but they can't tolerate the truth. William Shakespeare wrote, The pen is mightier than the sword. John Locke observed, Whoever defines the word defines the world. In fact, you can win the debate by defining the word. Dr. Ted Bear of Movie Guide has observed, Whoever controls the media controls the culture. In fact, as he says, the culture tells you who to vote for. So basic, sorry, the media basically shapes the culture, which tells you who to vote for. So effectively, the media is controlling the elections, which you could see over recent elections how they suppress information that would change the results of the election. They give information that's false to lead one to support parties and candidates you wouldn't support if you actually knew the truth. To most young people, most old people too, films are more real than reality. Movies show you what to do, how to do, how to when to do it, why to do it, and how to feel about it. And a lot of things are actually, I think, pre-programmed. I mean, this sounds like a harmless example, uh, but uh, for example, my girls were absolutely fascinated with every crawling little insect funny things out there. And I remember taking them uh, exploring, and they came back from the river, and they had, they had a crab. Uh, they'd, they'd found, well, it was a dead crab, but uh, they'd found this crab, and they were so excited, mommy, mommy, and they Call Lenora, she comes into the hallway and she smiles, looks down. As she sees the crab, she flings her hands up and screams. So my girls drop the crabs, they fling up their hands and they scream. And there they are standing in the hallway all screaming about something that my girls had found absolutely fascinating just a few minutes earlier about. Now, this is the where do women get this idea that a mouse runs across the floor? You've got to jump on a chair and scream. Well, I mean, how many times have you seen it in the Hollywood movies? And, you know, as I pointed out, in the movies, they would make out that the cat's the bad guy and the mouse. I mean, Mickey Mouse is the hero, or we can think of others uh, 
other kinds of example where the mouse is the hero and the cat is the villain. But the moment the rats and mice start getting into the food and uh, the cakes and things that the moms, then suddenly the mouse is no longer the hero and the cat becomes the hero. And it just shows why have they made the cat that protects you from the bubonic plague and the mice and rats that are infesting one's home, uh, how they made the villains in the movies. In fact, in my home, Tom and Jerry was bad. <laughs> Tom and Jerry is just anti-cat propaganda. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, okay, those are fairly harmless examples, but you get the point. Ezekiel 44, verse 23 declares, They are to teach my people the difference between the holy and the common, and show them how to distinguish between the unclean and the clean. And this is often a problem. It's not often just deciding between good and bad and right and wrong, but it's often between right and almost right, or good, better, and best. And we do need to be more discerning. How many here know who Antonio Gramsci is? How many understand the Gramsci strategy? Okay. Antonio Gramsci was the founder or co-founder of the Italian Communist Party. And Gramsci was part of what they called the Frankfurt School of Marxism. And Gramsci basically came to the conclusion, Vladimir Lenin got it. He, he got lucky. We're never going to get another correlation of forces that brought about the First World War and the downfall of the Tsar of Russia. And, and the West too Christian. And there's no way a small group of communists are going to seize any country by violent revolution. Uh, the Bolshevik Revolution was a once-off. It's not going to happen again. We need to capture the culture. In fact, we need to turn the Christian mind into not just a non-Christian mind, but an anti-Christian mind. And we need to do this by Marxizing the inner man. And he spoke about what we've got to do is to get people to think about all their problems without reference to God or the Bible and Christ, for sure. So you've got to think about reference all of life's problems without reference to Christianity and the laws of God. He said we need a quiet revolution, not banners and screaming in the streets. We need to be doing everything in the name of man's dignity and rights in the name of his autonomy and freedom from outside restraints, but freedom from the claims and restraints of Christianity above all. And so his slogan was, capture the culture. One of his disciples, uh, Richard Dawkins, has certainly been trying to do that, including this stupid billboard on a bus. There's probably no God, now stop worrying, enjoy your life. I just love the word probably. Um, he couldn't even be bold enough to say, there is no God. Although the Bible says the fool has said in his heart, there's no God. But Gramsci's slogan was, capture the culture. And many Marxists in Hollywood continue their long march through the institutions of the West using art to influence politics. And make no mistake, they are capturing the culture. At the first common term, the first communist international, I think it was 1921 or 22, the highest priority was given to infiltrate Hollywood. Hollywood in America, in Los Angeles. And, in fact, as Stalin said, we need to turn the cinemas into the new churches. We need to Marxize in a man. We need to capture the culture. And he was convinced that the highest priority of the communist national, before there even was an NKVD or KGB, the checker was being tasked, infiltrate Hollywood. And, it's documented, the communist party was the only party in town, literally, in Hollywood. Gramsci advocated working like a termite, to erode the foundations and the structures to eat out the Christian heart of Western institutions. And he identified five culture-carrying, culture-transforming institutions. Education, entertainment, news media, religious institutions, political institutions. Now, 
you've got to infiltrate these. And he, he described like wooden pillars. And you can imagine termites eating the insides of those wooden pillars. And it doesn't matter how much whitewash and painting and varnish you put on the outside. At a certain point, the pillars will collapse and the whole structure will collapse. He says, we've got to eat out the heart of Christianity out of the culture-carrying institutions of the West, education, entertainment, news media, religious institutions, political. And one of the disciples who's been working super hard at doing this is Harvey Weinstein. Harvey Weinstein, the amount of films, if you've paid attention, the amount of films, big-time films that start with a Weinstein production. I remember sitting and watching Mandela Long Walk to Freedom film. I only watched it because I had to do a review on it. And it starts off with a Weinstein production. Well, there's a whole lot of things, pulp fiction, you name it. This He has produced a lot of films, which when you look at them, what are they doing? They're all doing the Gramsci strategy. They're all eating the heart out of Western Christian civilization. They're extolling everything pagan and anti-Christian, and they're pulling down anything that's vaguely Christian, beautiful, good, true, noble, and honorable. And this man has turned out to be a predator and a pervert uh, and a rapist, like a whole lot of his other stars. And next he found, whoa, Hollywood's got a lot of these people who've been found to be rapist predators and perverts and all the rest of it. And the culture they've shaped has produced more perverts who are, in Britain, they found a shock that a million youngsters had been groomed and abused sexually by what they called Asian rape gangs. Another name for Muslim rape gangs, but they didn't want to use the word Muslim, so they called them Asian, as though all the Asians were doing. Not that I think a single Japanese or Korean was uh, being charged for any of this, but for over a decade, no, sorry, for over two decades, Child Welfare Service in Britain, Scotland Yard, the local police and so on, looked the other way and ignored thousands of complaints, tens of thousands of complaints. They didn't want to investigate and prosecute because they didn't want to be accused of being racist. And so they they allowed a million children, not only girls, girls and boys, to be abused repeatedly, repeatedly sexually abused and raped by these gangs, imagine, in Great Britain. And how does this happen? Well, the culture, Gramsci strategy. You've got to, I mean, you probably can't handle the whole book because it's, it's just too much, but to read some of what Hollywood believes, uh, put together by Ray Comfort, unbelievable. I mean, you will never respect these actors again when you understand what bizarre things many of them believe. Many of these characters belong to cults, many of them into the occult. Many of them are drug addicts, a whole lot of them are sexual perverts. There's, there's just no end of bizarre things of Hollywood. And the more you get to know about what they really believe. And some of these people, you are inclined to admire and like them because the characters they portray, pretend to be, are not what they really are. And that's the point. Sometimes we can, we can admire the noble character played in this or that film. And meanwhile, the real person is totally on the other side. And many of these people who can play, for example, action heroes in some major film, hate guns, believe that nobody should be allowed to own them, believe in total gun control. And now people think, oh, he's a great action hero. He's the um, a policeman who's like a vigilante shooting the bad guys. Meanwhile, a person's personal views are completely opposite to that. And so you've got some characters who respect someone. Maybe this person acts like a noble, honorable husband and a family, and meanwhile, uh, the man's a rampant pervert or even a homosexual, and so on and so forth. Just take Rock Hudson, who's considered the great leading man of his era. Turned out to be homosexual, and everybody in Hollywood knew it, even though he was playing 
in many cases, honorable men, and so on, but that wasn't the real Rock Hudson, and so on. Well, Ray Comfort also brought out a video, and Hollywood be their name, and they are idol makers. The amount of people who say, looking at, I, I remember having Bible studies as a young Christian, people saying, how could those Philistines and, I mean, worship Moloch and Baal? I mean, we'd never be so stupid as to worship idols. I mean, how dumb can you be bowing down to some kind of God made of wood and stone? Oh, really? And, and we've got pop idols, rock idols, sex idols, music idols, sports idols, political idols. We've got movie programs called idols. And, Anyone want to suggest that our society doesn't have idols as bad as anything that the Moloch worshippers and Baal worshippers and Ashtosh worshippers of the biblical era have worshipped? Dr. Ted Bear has worked as a missionary to Hollywood for over 30 years, and his movie guide does phenomenal work in exposing the worldview behind the films. And uh, uh, he had me contribute a chapter to his book, The Culture Wise Family, which he also wrote with Pat Boone, and it's just so important to know the worldviews behind many of the films and the message behind many of the films. And there's films that we like. Because, I mean, they're really, really good at their job and some of them are brilliant actors. But when you stop and you think, what's the message behind this film? And it's something we totally oppose. <laughs> Dr. Shivago's a wonderful film. It's a magnificent, epic, well-made film. But what's it promoting? Bigamy. I mean, which of us want to promote that? But there's all kinds of bizarre things in some of our favorite films. This is a good counter to Richard Dawkins. The fool has said in his heart there is no God. Psalm 14 verse 1. Yeah. So, in fact, that's a whole lot more intelligent. Colossians 2 verse 8 says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world. They are trying to capture not just the culture, they're trying to capture your and my heart and soul. There is truth in this world, but it's surrounded by packs of lies. James 4.17 says, Therefore to him who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. It is sin to know the good and not to do it. In fact, we should focus more on the sins of omission and the sins of commission in a sense. Our Lord Jesus described the Day of Judgment in Matthew 25, primarily in terms of the good things we failed to do. You did not feed the starving. You did not give water to the thirsty. You did not give clothing to the naked. You did not visit those in prison for their faith. You did not care for the sick. Depart from me, cursed and lake of fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So the Lord describes the Day of Judgment, Matthew 25. If you've got a red-letter Bible, it's in red letters. I mean, that's how important it is. These are the words of Jesus. He describes the Day of Judgment primarily in terms of sins of omission. Good things we fail to do. And I'm afraid there's a lot of Christians where we sit back and we think, I'm not a homosexual pervert. I don't do drugs. I'm a good person. And we judge ourselves by that standard, but what about judging ourselves by Jesus' standard and to know the good we ought to do and not to do it? Now that changes the whole ballgame. 1 Kings 18.21, Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. But the people answered another word. Proverbs 16.25 warns us, There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. In other words, sincerity is no guarantee of truth. You can be sincerely wrong. I'm sure we've all been sincerely wrong. I 
many times really believed something to be true and later found out I was wrong. So sincerity has nothing to do with truth. I'm sure many of the Islamic jihadist suicide bombers, homicide bombers, sincerely believe what they're doing is right. It doesn't make it right, but your sincerity is irrelevant. It's what does the Bible say, what is the truth? Therefore we are commanded in 1 Thessalonians 5.21, test all things, hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Just consider one example of paganism that's dominating the world today. Body piercing. In some of the most unexpected places, we're confronted by a revival of the old tribal practice of body scarification, body piercing, and body mutilation. Nose rings, eyebrow rings, belly rings, tongue studs, multiple earrings, nipple rings, tattoos, other disfigurements are more than an identifiable subculture. It's all part of an aggressive fashion statement, which is challenging the Christian church. The scriptures are clear, Leviticus 19.28, in one of the most important passages in the Bible. In the Old Testament, there's a passage, Leviticus 19, that begins, Be holy, for I am holy. And then it defines what it means to be holy. Leviticus 19 explains what it means to be holy on all areas of life. And one of the principles is, You shall not make any cuttings in your flesh, nor tattoo any marks on you, I am the Lord. It's a very serious command. Now, do you know where I saw that quote, that verse? In a book, Return of the Tribal, a Celebration of Body Adornment, Piercing, Tattooing, Body Painting, and Body Scarification. In this book, it starts off with three quotes, and one of them is what I just quoted from Leviticus. You shall make no cuttings in your flesh, you shall not pierce your body, I am the Lord. And they quote that, the rest of the book is basically saying, <laughs> we're going to do it. Then it quotes on the Bhagavad Gita of the Hindus, which is supportive of body piercing. And then it quotes from Charles Darwin, saying all the tribes in the Pacific Islands that he came across practice body piercing and tattoos. So, Old Testament Bible, <laughs> ignore that. Hindu Bhagavad Gita, oh, this is good. And then, oh, Charles Darwin says, and... The whole book is a celebration. In fact, some of the pictures I've got here are scanned out of this book. Do not cut your bodies or put to two marks in yourself. I'm the Lord. I mean, how clear is that? Do you know, there's a group that you can get on internet. Got Answers, is it? It's a Christian site. that gives, And on the question of what does the Bible say about body piercing and tattoos, it says the Bible doesn't say anything about it. And that was that whole nonsense was quoted in a well-known Christian magazine as well. How can God Answers call themselves a Christian counseling agency and then they blatantly lie and say the Bible doesn't speak about body piercing and tattoos? And why would you do this? How You know, your ear is super sensitive. Why would you want to put all these things around there? And by the way, if you are in a fight and a person opposite you has got any kind of Metal piercing. That's all you go for that. I mean, you hit that, grab that. It's like a bull. They put through a big, powerful bull, a ring through the nose. Why? You grab that ring, you can control that bull, even though you're small and he's big. And you can have these big guys with his nose piercing and earbrow. We just go for that and you own him. And um, he's finished. Unfortunately, most Christian leaders have remained silent on this practice. 
even while some youth leaders in barber costumes are giving themselves over to body modification. I've spoken in a lot of churches and quite a lot of barber cultures as well overseas, and the amount of times of somebody bouncing along there in his ponytail, bouncing in his earrings, rattling and other sort of metal things, and you don't even want to look at the person's face because it's so painful, and uh, I want to be a missionary in Africa. So, well, have a haircut, get all the metal out of your face, um, and, uh, you know, then we'll talk. But you, oh, how can you judge me? Well, you can't go to Africa to be a missionary to the people looking like one of the pagans. And, you know, the people in Africa understand the tribal folks that I minister with, for example, in Sudan, no Christian would do body modification scorings. They, if they get converted and they've got that, they take it out immediately. This is biblical. Leviticus 26 says, priests must not shave their heads or cut their bodies. Now, when it's saying not shaving, it doesn't mean you can't shave. It's like if you've seen Ten Commands film, for example, I'm talking about the classic uh, one, uh, Charlton Heston song. What did the Egyptians do? They shaved most of their head, but then they had this sort of just this lock of hair coming out to one side, and they, they had all shaved suddenly and they had this long, elongated beard here. So they had a bunch of weird fashion statements. And um, that's the way the Egyptians are. And you can look at the Egyptian wall uh, paintings and all of that, and then you get an idea. So it's saying you're not to make, meant to make some kind of weird fashion statement. Like these people who suddenly have mohawks and X and Z shaven into their heads. And why would you do that? In fact, when people make these kind of aggressive fashion statements, you know, they're often sort of like, Daring you to respond, you know, and it's like, look at me, look at me, look at me. What are you looking at me for? Um, and it's, you know, sort of like uh, that's prince and princess. We want our privacy. We want our privacy. You know, touring the world and we want privacy, uh, speaking tours and getting on TVs and so on and publishing books and uh, making films on why they want their privacy. And that's the point. A lot of people who do these weird, bizarre, strange, shave this and shave that and make all, and then, you know, they want you to look at them, but then they'll accuse you of why you're looking at me. As Christians, we call to be holy. What does holy mean? Set apart, different from the world, consecrate to the Lord. And by the way, you don't show that you're a Christian by tattooing Jesus Lord on your arm. We don't see that in the Bible. We don't see it commanded in the Bible. In fact, David Livingston walked across Africa preaching the gospel and nobody looked at him and said, oh, I know he's a Christian because he's got a tattoo or something. No, it was by his love, by his life, by his work, by his deeds, by his ministering, by healing bodies, preaching gospel. Jesus didn't say, by the tattoos you will know them. I mean, he didn't say you must be tattooed. If he did, then we should all do it. But it's by your love and love and action and so on. And everybody's doing it. It's hardly an argument to justify Christian involvement. In fact, if everyone's doing it, that's an excellent example and reason and argument not to do it. In 1968, people might have had colored shorts and clean bodies. Now it's more likely a person might have uh, uh, white shorts and toxic ink um, stained bodies. This character, believe it or not, is a youth leader. And the Holy Spirit, he says, told him to do this tattoo on himself which looks like he's got three scars, like some claws got him. Maybe a spirit did tell him, but I doubt it was the Holy Spirit. And is this a Christian symbol? No, it's actually an Egyptian god, Ankh. And now here's a bit of honesty, Hell's Angels. <clears throat> is there another name for Hell's Angels? Fallen Angels. Yeah, I mean, Hell's Angels are fallen angels. Demons are actually angels 
who joined Lucifer in the rebellion against God. The very fact that pagans practice body piercing should be a compelling enough argument against Christians being conformed to the world. Now here's some chap, Brent Moffat, who apparently broke the world's record by having the most piercings by sticking hundreds of surgical needles through his legs and torso in Winnipeg. He broke the previous Guinea book of records of 200 piercings in about one and a half hours. He plans to stop at a thousand piercings. I have no idea if he survived that long to do that or if he ran out of flesh or something. But uh, this has got to be slightly uncomfortable. I don't know what the point is. In fact, some people, when they see this, say, doesn't that hurt? Of course it hurts. That's the whole point. There's a certain sadomasochistic desire in a lot of this. It's very painful to get branded or to have piercings. And pagan tribes used to do this to show that you had the requisite guts to join the tribal group. I don't know why you would do this. Again, can you imagine how easy it would be to mug or beat this person up? You just grab that string and pull. Um, and... Uh, Yes. Isn't this the kind of person you'd want for doing your IT? No, I'll not fix your computer. How does this person eat, breathe, sneeze, cough, anything? I mean, what is the point? And your neck? I I don't know what this person's dermatologist thinks about this, but I doubt that this is going to be good. What's this going to look 20 years from now? And how much is too much? And what's overdoing it? Why would you not want this person as you used to do? God looks at the heart. Don't be so judgmental. <laughs> and, yep, no, this looks like just the guy to invite to be a youth pastor. And um, I don't know how he eats or anything like that. And I don't suppose anyone would want to kiss him, but anyway. Um, I don't know what's going on in these people's minds. I'm not too sure what's going on, but it does look like some demon is uh, decorating his property. And this person must have wanted to look like a demon, I mean, right down to the horns, and I don't know how they do that, but this doesn't look very healthy from any point of view. And this poor girl is obviously deeply troubled. In fact, as my wife would often say to my children, when you see people with body piercings and tattoos, early warning symbol, run. It's a good warning. That is the kind of person you never want to be in a relationship. This person is carrying a lot of baggage uh, and probably demons. Um, This is a seriously troubled person. And does this girl really think this makes her more attractive? I mean, what on earth does a person who puts all these kind of things through their nose and cheeks and ears and so on, what are they doing? And and how healthy is this? Knowledge is power. I'm sure it is, but I think this person needs some spelling lessons, and I doubt that the person who's got this has that knowledge. And so there are people who talk about the fact that our culture is in trouble, and you can see it, because, you know, a beautiful culture produces beautiful art. And you can you, you just look at some of the art and the architecture and the cathedrals, and you listen to Handel's Messiah, and you see some, and you just say, this is excellent. And then you see some what's going on right now, and it looks like some modern art. It's a mess. And some people say, well, what you were quoting from Leviticus is about the priest. We don't have priests anymore. What about 1 Peter 2 verse 9? But you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We are meant to be priests. Now, what is a priest? A priest is a bridge builder. A priest is meant to intercede between two parties. So a priest biblically spoke to God 
on behalf of man, intercession, and spoke to man on behalf of God, prophetic. So a Christian is meant to intercede, stand between the unsaved and God to, to speak to and witness to people who do not have a relationship to God and to speak to God on behalf of them, to pray for them. So we're meant to be priests, holy bridge builders, just as the Levites were to be the priests to Israel, the whole nation of Israel was called to be priests to the world. You can read about that in Exodus 19. The scriptures are clear that we must treat our bodies with respect. They're not our own to do with as we wish. They belong to God who made them, who purchased them with his blood. Now, if you go into any building, not just a cathedral, you start bringing jackhammers and nailing things in the walls or pulling things out and you'll probably get arrested because that's damage to property. It's not your property. You've got no right to start damaging it. And in fact, um, one of my sermon illustrations uh, was that if you go into someone's home and start rearranging the furniture, you could get in trouble. And I said, if you came into uh, my home and tried that, my wife would actually use her gun uh, because she would not tolerate people rearranging uh, her home. And... uh, why would we allow strangers to come and rearrange our thoughts, such as through Hollywood, through TV, electronic babysit for our kids? But considering that our bodies belong to God because we were created by God, and they belong to God because he purchased them through his blood across the Calvary, are our bodies ours to do with as we wish? Start making some kind of weird fashion statements, branding ourselves and so on. Our bodies are meant to be temples of the Holy Spirit. We are to glorify God with our bodies. Don't you know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you and from whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. So 1 Corinthians 6 makes it clear we should be honoring God with our body. Well, I've great trouble working out how we could honor God with our bodies by branding them and disfiguring them and tattooing and all of that, which, of course, is expressly forbidden in the Scripture anyway. But on the other hand, the Bible does record how pagans did abuse their bodies. You don't even want to know what these people are doing, why they're doing it. The prophets of Baal slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until the blood flowed. That's what the prophets of Baal did. That's not what we should do. The demon-possessed man of Gadara cut himself with stones and ran around naked. It was a custom of the Ishlamite men to wear gold earrings. Not the Israelites, Ishlamites. So this is their custom. And, of course, God's people are called to be different to the country societies around them. The culture around them might have done body scarification to choose that, but we're not to do that. Biblically, a pierced ear is a public indication of permanent slavery. When the Hebrews were led out of slavery in Egypt by Moses, they were urged, Exodus 32, take off your gold earrings. So all the people took off the earrings. These are your gods of Israel. Now, all the people took off the earrings. How did they all have earrings? I mean, they were slaves. But that's the point. It was a mark of slavery. They had to wear earrings to indicate that they were slaves of the Egyptians. Now they were free, take off the earrings. After God spoke to Jacob, he instructed his household to get rid of the idols and to purify themselves. And along with their stone idols, we read they buried the earrings. Interesting. Genesis 35 verse 2. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, get rid of the foreign gods you have with you, purify yourselves, change your clothes, so they gave Jacob all the foreign gods they had and the rings and ears, and Jacob buried them. Interesting. This has always been the response of pagan people when they've embraced the gospel of Christ. From Papua New Guinea to the Amazon jungle 
Pagan tribes engaged in body scarification. Earrings, nose rings, tongue studs, multiple piercings, tattoos. But once converted to Christ, these tribes abandoned these body modification practices. Fear the Lord your God. Serve him only. Do not follow the other gods, the gods of the peoples around you. For the Lord your God is a jealous God, and his anger will burn against you. Do not test the Lord. Be sure to keep the commands of the Lord and the stipulations and decrees he's given you. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight, so that it may go well with you. In the future, when your sons ask you, what is the meaning of these stipulations, decrees, and laws that the Lord your God has commanded you? We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. So you see, the children may look and see, Dad and Mom, they've got these scars, and they've got indications that they had piercings, but we don't have it. Why is this? Well, we were slaves in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt, the mighty end. And so it is wherever I go in Africa. See, the older generation may have these scars. They've taken out the metal, but the younger generation will not. It's completely inappropriate for a Christian man to wear an earring, the mark of slavery. What may be appropriate for a woman is not necessarily appropriate for a man. Women may wear dresses. But men should not. I mean, these days, that's a thought crime. It could get you fired from being a professor in a university to say something like that. It's uh, now uh, a crime to even think like that. But biblically, historically, that's been true. What's practiced by the world is seldom acceptable for a Christian. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature, but rather serve one another in love. Galatians 5.13. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. So I've got some people saying, no, but I've got Christian tattoos. Why well, just makes it blasphemous as well as an abomination? It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Galatians 5.1 If something is prevalent and acceptable, that alone should be a compelling enough argument against Christians adopting their fashions and fads. Now, looking under the chin of this character, we can read S A T A. I'm guessing the last letter's M. This person's been quite clear about who he, he's got the pentagrams, he's got a skull and all kinds of other occultic symbols. But, you know, looking at this man, I'm inclined to think he's not a Christian. I mean, somebody would say, don't be so judgmental, you don't know his heart. And, uh, well, generally speaking, God's the only one who can look on the heart. The rest of us have to look from the outside. And we do judge books by the cover. And, uh, you know, when you look at wildlife, whether you're talking about birds, or the way they look on the outside helps us understand who they are and their character and their gender and so on. We call to be different from the world. We're to honor God with our bodies. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Not the removal of your minds, the renewing of your minds. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Our bodies do matter. They do be presented to God as holy offering in a way that pleases God. David Livingston sought to please God, not by tattooing his bodies, not by body scarification, but by healing bodies and preaching the gospel and ministering. We're not to follow the example of pagans. Making holes in our bodies is hardly respecting them as temples of the Holy Spirit. Just like you shouldn't go into some temple downtown or 
cathedral start using some jackhammers. Permanently disfigure our bodies as blatant rebellion to our creator and to our redeemer. Now, who's this character? This is the tiger man. This man spent a million dollars making himself look like a tiger. It included not just the tattoos and the whiskers and the teeth, the claws. Now, I've seen tigers. Tigers are magnificent. Tigers are beautiful. Tigers are impressive. Tigers glorify God. This man's just ugly. Now, maybe he wasn't ugly to start with, but a million dollars later, he looks absolutely ugh. Yuck. Anyway, now, if you think it can't get worse, they now are tattooing eyeballs. I don't know how. I can't even get eye drops in my eyes, but... Um, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. 1 Peter 2.11 You can't do physical things like this without damaging your soul. Now, this magazine article in, oh, forget, what was this, You Magazine? Evil Life of the Bride of Satan? Well, at least they knew what they were. But Now, tattoo shops. <clears throat> The amount of tattoo shops that are run by Satanists and occultists is staggering. For example, just down the road at Canal Walk, they've got a tattoo shop on one side and a body piercing shop next. They're actually one shop, and the one's a husband, the other's a wife or boyfriend, girlfriend, not too sure. But they're both Satanists. And they're running a tattoo shop, and they've got... I haven't been there for years, but it used to be with flames around. I don't know if it's still there after the lockdown, but uh, the uh, it looked like an outreach center for hell. So like... Don't take a chance and go to hell. Come here and get tattooed and make absolutely sure. Free demon with every tattoo. Part of the biblical description of a harlot is she decked herself out with rings and jewelry, but me she forgot, says the Lord. Hosea 2.13. Psalm 32 verse, Psalm 36 verse 2. For in his own eyes he flatters himself too much to detect or hate his sin. Now this is some singer. Could be a worship leader for all I know. I mean, I see there's some crosses and so on, but my, I don't know what the baby nappy safety pin thing is for, but Lamentations 3.40 says, let us examine our ways and test them and let us return to the Lord. To draw attention to ourselves for these excessive fashion statements is hardly in keeping the biblical command to be modest and humble. And yet these excessive fashion statements are look at me, look at me, look at me. That's not humility. Modesty is next to beauty. Well, actually, modesty is beautiful. This is not beautiful. Just stick metal piercings through your face. And I don't know what this person's thinking. I can only assume they're not thinking. On your left, you will see what this girl used to look like, and then all the improvements made by body modification. Now, I think this person is seriously disturbed. Um, I'm inclined to think this person might be a case for deliverance, because this looks like some demon... Bear in mind, this is what the person used to look like. What does this indicate? I mean, is this an improvement? How much is too much? Here's a before, and there's an after. Hmm. And this poor person, he can't get a job because Trump's a racist. <laughs> and here's a toxic ink syndrome you can see before and after. And I don't know how any of these people think this is good. One can only assume... They fell under the influence of demons. 1 Peter 3 verse 3 to 4 says, Your beauty should not come from outward adornment. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle 
in a quiet spirit. The present obsession of many with body modification is a revival of tribalism. It involves a painful initiation, right, which produces an identification with a certain tribe, clan, or subculture. Like the Kasipa people in Sudan that I've ministered amongst, they stretch their lower lips to fit a saucer-sized pottery, and they stretch their earlobes to create huge holes and long earlobes which they put a piece of pottery in. Amongst the Nuba tribes in the Nuba Mountains in Sudan, multiple earrings, nose rings, body scarification, body painting, all this is prevalent. The Dinkin and Uwe tribes in Sudan are easily identifiable by a pattern of scars across the forge, which is produced by not just cutting with a knife, but then a rubber suit and ash and so on, which helps to produce the, the unique scars. Amongst the Hindus, nose studs, belly rings, toe rings, tongue studs, arbor rings. This is common with Hindus. Tattoos amongst the Amazon tribes identify the various members of a given tribe. In Papua New Guinea, all kinds of body scarification, tattoos, body mutilation, they distinguish the various tribes. Now, the history of various kinds of body modification is evidence from all over the world. Wherever animism and spiritism has been religion, you get body piercing and you get tattooing. From ancient China through to the primitive tribes in Africa and South America, there have been all manner of adjustments to the body to signify identity with a certain group and with certain gods and spirits. And this is part of the tribal. So now what we're seeing in western cities like San Francisco and London is nothing less than a revival of tribalism, paganism. Amongst the tribes in Borneo, tattooing is mainly associated with headhunting, which is a visible sign of success for men and the coming of age in women. In some cases, it symbolizes social status. Tattoos are part of what they call the rites of passage. And next to blackened teeth and long earlobes, intricate tattoos and fingers, hands, lower arms, thighs, calves, feet, serve as what they call important elements of beauty for women. Well, I don't think they need any of that. Uh, God's given all the natural beauty one needs. This is actually just disfigurement. Here's a pagan view on the subject. A tattoo is a complex signifier. It signifies your class. It signifies your sexuality. It has a specific content and signifier. A depiction of an animal, a person, abstract, terrible design. The most usual motives are signifiers of power and masculinity. Now, what do you do in an age of transgenderism? I mean, you can't easily change your tattoo. So you're signifying your sexuality. And I don't know how many genders there are right now. Uh, and apparently they can change. But the tattoos don't change very easily. What the tattoo signals, still quoting from this pro-tattoo book, it signifies the power one sees over one's own body to be branded, branded or tattooed, shows you have the requisite guts to join the group, just as a farmer might brand his cattle or his horse. So now we brand ourselves. It's not the most extreme or painful form of initiation, but it is a sign of pain and hence of resolution. This quote there. I don't know how this poor person sneezes, but uh, it doesn't look good. Tattooing is often a magical rite. In the more traditional cultures, the tattooist is respected as a priest or a shaman. Now, this is quoting from their sources. And the man who does the tattooing, it's like he's the priest. Do you know there are churches in America, where emergent churches, where they do tattoos on the platform during the sermon. People can come up, you know, sort of like coming to the front of the altar. You get tattoos put on you while, while the service is on the go. In Fiji, Formosa, New Zealand, in certain parts of North America, Indian tribes, tattooing was regarded as a religious ceremony performed by priests and priestesses. Well, they're doing it like that in some so-called Christian churches today. 
literally during the service, doing body scarification. The actual tattooing process, which involves complex rituals and taboos, could only be done by priests, was associated with beliefs which were secrets known only to the members of the priestly class. Historically, still quoting from this tattooing book, tattooing had originated in connection with ancient rites of scarification and bloodletting, very important, like a blood sacrifice, which were associated with religious practices. Intended to put the human soul in harmony with supernatural forces and ensure continuity between this life and the next. Now think about that quote for a moment. To put your soul into harmony with supernatural forces and ensure continuity between this life and the next. Well, that's probably very true. Probably does put your soul in harmony with supernatural forces, but not good ones. I mean, not the Holy Spirit and angelic forces, more like fallen angels, demons, and, and it would ensure continuity in this life and the next, but for the grace of God, because one needs deliverance from this sort of spirit. In the same way, eyebrow rings, nose rings, multiple earrings, nipple rings, all of these subcultures in New York and London and Paris and other capitals of what was meant to be civilization, you've got the nose ring tribe and you've got the uh, double piercings and so on and so forth. They've got These are effectively tribes and you can see they identify, their eyes light up when they see someone's got the same pattern of whatever they call it. Isaiah 3 verse 9, the look on their faces testifies against them. They parade their sin like Sodom. They do not hide it. Woe to them. They've brought disaster on themselves. Now believe it or not, this is meant to be a woman. So I'm told from this book. And those are not makeup mascara. That's tattoos. Why would anyone do this to themselves? Why would you have some priest or shaman tattooing you to ensure continuity between this life and next and putting your soul in harmony with supernatural forces? And yeah, I don't think that can be good. You hear about a person speaking with forked tongue. That looks very reptilian. Again, this person's got tattooing of the eyeballs. I don't know about you, but I'd be hesitant to hire someone like this. And uh, this Maori from New Zealand looks positively demonic. This is again tattooing eyeballs. There are beaches in, for example, China where they say nobody with tattoos is allowed to be there. Yes, it is a pain to look at people with tattoos. It, it actually hurts you, your eyes. And this is also meant to be a woman. The interesting thing is that while so many Westerners rush into New Age religions, body piercing and occultism, many millions in the tribes in Africa and South America and Asia and the Pacific Islands are being converted to Christ. And they're banning body piercing and practicing the pagan past. When I was growing up, they would have at the circus a tattooed person that you'd go and see. It's like a freak show. And, you know, I mean, some drunken sailors and criminals got tattoos when I was growing up. Now, pastors can have it. It's very clear in most mission fields who the Christians are and who the pagans are in these mission fields. The pagans wear little or no clothing. They engage in a lot of body scarification, <coughs> piercings and tattoos. But the Christians wear clothes. They're easily identifiable. They don't engage in any body scarification. I mean, it's just so crystal clear. Well, you go in some churches in the West and you'd really wonder who the Christians are and who the pagans are. Galatians 2 verse 20 tells you of the only kind of body scarification that can help. In fact, I once saw a church in Tableview had a big billboard saying, body piercing saved my life. And there's a picture of the Lord's pierced wrist on the cross. Body piercing saved my life. I mean, that's a shocking statement, but 
That's the only body piercing we believe in. Our Lord was pierced for us. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life and I live in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Of course, now some older people will still have scars and holes, testimony of their pagan past before they were converted. But all the earrings and arbor rings and nose rings and such have been removed. And the children are free from these pagan disfigurements. It's unheard of in these mission fields for Christians to voluntarily pierce or tattoo their bodies. I mean, if I ask somebody in the Congo or in Sudan or in Nigeria what they think about body scarification, I mean, it's straightforward. This is wrong. This is pagan. I mean, we'd never do it. But you try that in the Western church. Oh, don't be so judgmental. In fact, Westerners shock the Christians in Sudan when they visit them with ponytails and earrings. Deuteronomy 14, 1-2. You are the children of the Lord God. Do not cut yourselves or shave the front of your heads for the dead, for you are people holy to the Lord your God. How can we explain the widespread toleration, even practice of body piercing, in far too many Christian churches, even Bible colleges and ministries in the West? Oh, now this really shows he's a Christian. He's done his body scarification to tooth. He's done this in Greek. Ah, I mean, what, what, how does that make it right? And the same Lord who said don't do this, they think they can honor him by putting a tattoo of the Lord's Supper on the back. And who's meant to see this? I mean, aren't you meant to be wearing a shirt? But if, if you believe in art, why not do art on canvas and so on and frame it and put it on the wall? digitally and put on the internet but why use your body as some kind of canvas and again you can put you can do many artworks through your lifetime but you've only got so much skin area how much is too much and this ink this toxic ink is going to seep into your bloodstream it will have consequences now this is a new one Here's some Christian who's got some scriptural verse or the name of God um, tattooed on their eyelid. Who knows? Uh, evidently a Roman Catholic. Uh, redeemed. Yep, there's no better way to show someone you're redeemed than to have a tattoo of it on your foot. There must be a scripture verse somewhere that says, you know, by their tattoos you'll know them. And this is going on all over the place. It's an epidemic. And now we've got these tattooed ministers who have... The sleeves cut off so that you can see my full sleeve tattoo. And this is Todd Bentley, who led some kind of revival, apparently, uh, in Florida. And he advertised that some angel Emma told him to to his body, his whole body. And I checked just tonight. A full sleeve is at least $2,000, maybe $4,000, depends on how complex. Um, So two sleeves would be $8,000. A full body tattoo, it can go up to, most of your body, up to $50,000 and so on. That's US dollars, not Zimbabwe dollars. Could you think of something you could do for a few thousand dollars that might help the kingdom of God? Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and God's spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is sacred. And you are the temple. Do not deceive yourselves. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 to 18. So generally it starts off by assuming that if an earring is appropriate to women, it's appropriate for men as well. And then some women reckon, well, if men are going to wear an earring, then I'm going to wear two, ten earrings. And as many in the world are wearing nose rings and arbor rings and belly rings and tongue studs, why shouldn't we? 
James 4 verse 4, you adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. As so many Christians have immersed themselves in pagan music, in immoral videos, and worldly entertainment, it should not surprise that so many of our youth are now indistinguishable from their non-Christian friends. And that's pretty sad. The mind-rotting, brain-numbing, soul-destroying trash that's filling the ears and eyes and minds of our youth should be sufficient explanation of the backslidden, immoral, unchristian behavior. I don't know what the point is in having an earlobe that can handle a tin can, but anyway... This now includes even professing Christians who are disfiguring their bodies with pagan piercings. Romans 3.18 was written, there is no fear of God before their eyes. Now that was written about the pagans, but you could now put that verse over many churches. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Not just pagans, but now many Christians don't fear God. Some years ago, South Africa produced this on Youth Day, 16th of June, a postage stamp of some demon-looking creature with a nose ring. Now, if that's the picture of what they wanted our youth to become like, they've certainly worked at it in SATV, ETV, and Southern Schooling. It is time for pastors and parents to study what the scriptures teach on the subject and to boldly and without compromise preach in these pastures and call those people who are defiling the bodies to repent. We need to take God's word seriously. Let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit and perfect holiness out of reverence for God. 2 Corinthians 7.1 May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 5 I gave this presentation in 2000, January 2006 at Mizpah at a Biblical Worldview Summit. And we had two messiahs there. Two tall people uh, from the Maasai tribe in Kenya. And they were dressed in their red and white robes. And, of course, they had all kinds of earrings and other things and masses of necklaces. And they were sitting in the front row. And as I finished, I said, any questions? They both stood up. They knelt. And they lay flat on the ground. And they started praying to God to forgive them. They took off their earrings and other uh, things. And they said, we never knew this before. I've never seen a reaction quite like that. And they just, they immediately, they heard the scriptures, they got rid of those things, they repented of it, and uh, wow, you could just see such a work, it was just so teachable. But that's unusual. Uh, normally you get more hostility than anything else, bringing up something like this. This is like probably the most, second most unpopular message I could give. The most unpopular message would be the message in the music. I remember preaching on the message in the music in Middleburg in the Transvaal, and afterwards the youngster came up to me and says, I just deleted all 10,000 songs off my iPhone or whatever he had, some kind of device. I didn't know there were 10,000 songs in the world, but anyway, uh, he apparently had them on his iPhone. He deleted them. He said, nothing there was God-honoring. And, uh, but that's unusual. It's unusual to get people responding so positively to a message like that, but we are called to turn the world upside down. Acts 17, verse 6, those people who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Actually, they didn't turn the world upside down. They turned the world right side up. Any questions, comments on refusing to be pressured by paganism, resisting the pressures to paganization? Questions, comments, complaints, criticisms? I can tell you a story. Uh, yes. If you... I can tell you a story about that. You mentioned the tattoo. There's a tattoo parlor 
And we used to pray against it many, many times. I was in the Georgian in church, and uh, the guy was full of tattoos. Full of tattoos. Uh, he looked like a Dalmatian dog. <laughs> spots and spots and spots. So he just uh, decided to go to the, the, the parlor to take the, <coughs> uh, the tattoos off. And he done it, it was very, very short. And now he's in, still in the Georgian church, and, but without the tattoos, you see. But he's a happy guy now. But that, the only way to get rid of these tattoos is basically burn them off with laser surgery or something, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know what the Hawaii did do it. And uh, uh, because he went back to the tattoo parlor and asked him to take it off all the tattoos mm. off. It's apparently harder to take them off than just to get them. But um, yeah, yeah. but I know a lot of people have gone to... The, I know some chaps literally had the skin grafts and took off and things like that. And yeah. Took skin from the inside of their thigh to cover the skins. And, so um, some people really hate what they did. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's it's... This is the problem. You know, if you have a bad haircut, <laughs> it can grow out. Um, if, if, you, if you try some stupid fashion statement, I've got pictures when I was younger and we were wearing bell-bottom trousers, massive collars with these polka dot shirts. I don't know what we were thinking. Uh, when I came out of school, I first had my hair right over my ears and sort of like Luke Skywalker haircut in 1977, which was popular. And you look back and think, such a stupid idea. But I mean, ah, you know, you can change your clothes and you can change your hairstyle within a short while. But how do you get rid of these brandings? So that's the problem. It's, it's, we all do some stupid things sometimes, but these are very long-term results. And that's why parents and society should protect young people from... Normally, the only people who got these tattoos were some drunken sailor whose pals played a dirty trick on them while they were drunk in some harbor and they wake up and they've got some stupid tattoo on them. And... Uh, you know, sailors got tattoos, you understood, normally when they were drunk. And normally it wasn't even their, their idea. But um, now, normal, it's mainstreamed. In fact, you look a little strange if you don't have any tattoos now. Uh, Elfie, you were going to say. I just wanted to ask, um, because I've seen verses where the Bible refers to jewelry and like rings and gold as something good, as something a bride that wants herself in to present herself to the bridegroom. So I just wanted, I uh, was wondering if you're going to um, like pour some clarity when it comes to like what is actually seen about jewelry in the Bible and what is not. Because well, I'm, I'm, I haven't spoken about jewelry at all in the sense of rings on fingers or necklaces. That hasn't come into this. We're talking about body piercing and tattoos. So there is a place for jewelry. We have seen some jewelry in the Bible. But if it involves body piercing, that's something else. But didn't Isaac give to Rebecca a nose ring? Yes, well, Isaac and Jacob did some sinful things too. Because something's recorded in the Bible doesn't make it right. So, you know, you can record some things where heroes of the faith lied, stole, committed adultery, murder. Just because it's recorded doesn't mean it's commended. So the Bible records things that doesn't commend just like it records what the pagans did, slashing their flesh and But even God's people committed sins. You know, you think Abraham lied that his wife was his sister. Sarah's my sister because he's afraid they might kill him uh, because his uh, wife Sarah was so beautiful. So he did this twice, lying to the Egyptians and so on. 
Uh, and you can see there's things recorded about what God's people did in the Bible that, that aren't commended. So jewelry in itself is not wrong. Excessive jewelry would be excessive. It's just like food's not wrong, but gluttony's wrong. Uh, so there's a place for jewelry, but it shouldn't involve body piercing. If it involves body piercing, then it's breaking a whole bunch of God's commands. So. I'm also saying, like, in the Bible, when it says, when something's wrong, the Bible will expressly say, this is wrong, sinning against God. There will always, at least there will be a way for the Bible to bring it up as it, as it was evil. But in mm-hmm. that case of Rebecca and Isaac, they didn't, there was no like sign that that was evil in the eyes of the Lord for her husband to give her a gift. Uh, well, you've got all these pastures that I've just gone through which say that we shouldn't cut ourselves and make piercings in our bodies. So I think that would be sufficient. I'm just wondering if there's a balance or if there's like a right way. Mm. Obviously, when someone is starting to look very mm-hmm. unhuman, that means they're definitely not working with God with their body. But I'm just wondering, like, there's also places where the, where the Lord says, where jewelry is seen as something good, but you said jewelry is good. I certainly bought my wife jewelry, but when I met Lenora, she, for example, had earrings. And after going to Kwasavanti, she took her earrings out and never wore earrings again for the rest of her life. And, I mean, that's like 32 years or so or longer. And uh, holes closed up. So uh, she decided she didn't want earrings anymore. Um, I mean, she only had a single two, you know, one in each ear. That was it. Um, and uh, my daughter Daniela's to this day never uh, seen the need to get an earring. Um, but it's not something I've made a law about. And uh, certainly children are old enough they could make their own decisions. But uh, I, I can see, interesting enough, my mother never had anything but clip-on earrings. She never had the ones with holes. Interestingly, I, I don't know why, if she had a conviction about it or whatever, but she, she never went around to, to action. And yet you look and you see many people in, in Cape Town getting their babies having ears pierced. Like strange. I mean, not even toddlers, babies getting earrings. So I think it's it's a bit weird that our society's gotten to a place where it's so common now. And earrings are a very minor example. But now you can see these you know, strings of earrings on the tops of the ears and uh, you know, once they start there, many can't stop. The nose ring and the eyebrow ring and all these other things start to follow. And it's you know, what's going on? It looks to me, seriously um, questionable. It's like there's a spirit, and the people often can't stop. They have to get more. I'm, I'm not sure what the reason is. I found those pictures that you had of people who were who look normal and fine. Then on the right hand side, you had the sort of final result, as it were. And it's, you know, it's, it's like these things start with such small things. Maybe it's a little thing, you know, on your wrist, just like. And then it's, you, you, you seem to be hooked in spiritually. And as we said just now, it's like you continue. And it gets worse and worse until you see the fruit. And it's almost like um, a church situation. We've got these absurd situations existing of what they're talking about, what they're preaching, what they're doing. It didn't start like that. You know, when you talk about discernment, I mean, you know, it's easy to discern the final result. Mm. But it never started like that. It was just little deviations here and there. And that's where we need discernment, to just pick up these things, 
not to become, you know, like absolutely straining the nap type of person. Yes. But just to be aware that something, you know, something's happening. Right, I mean, it's a matter of discernment. So, obviously, I've used some very extreme examples and extreme pictures here. And these aren't even the most extreme pictures. I mean, some I looked at, this is just so bad, one can't even think of showing these. But, uh, I mean, there's worse out there, make no mistake. Uh, but it's, it's a shocking presentation, but I think we should be shocked by the fact that this is where paganism is going. And if you get in the stream, you'll carry on until it takes you over the edge of the uh, waterfall. It's just unbelievable. Things that would have been so shocking when I was young, and I consider absolutely normal by so many, and uh, particularly this. As I said, body scarification tattoos used to be a freak show that you'd go in a sideshow at a circus. And now you can literally see a pastor standing up on the pulpit area like Todd Bentley, showing his full chin things and sleeves. You get famous reformed teachers and leaders posing on their Facebook pages with the sleeveless vest so that you can see the full sleeve uh, tattoos that they've got and so on. But these are the same people who support reformed rap. <laughs> you know, uh, there's, there's some oxymorons out there. It's sad. Now, I know people who've got lots of tattoos. I mean, I know one famous reformed preacher. Uh, he's got massive tattoos, but he covers it up. He wears full sleeve shirts and high collar things because he doesn't want to be scandalizing and showing people that he has all these tattoos. And then you get others who wear a vest so that you can see uh, their tattoos because they, they, they're making an aggressive fashion state. So there are, I know people, we've had people working as missionaries in our mission who had tattoos all over the place and they'd regretted and repented of it. And, and so they would wear the long sleeves to cover up and they, they were they were repentant of it, um, ashamed of it, uh, as opposed to those who just aggressively want to show you know, every, you know, right down to making sure you can see my ankle tattoo or whatever it is, and you choosing it close so that you can see all their tattoos. Now, that's a different attitude right there. We're in a society where some people may have made some very bad choices, and you don't blame people for that. There's redemption in Christ. But there's a difference between, I did it, it was wrong, shouldn't have done it, and then saying, look at me, look at me, you should get a tattoo as well. And even Anesthetics. Yeah. I presume it's possible. I'm, in fact, I would imagine that's what one should do. <laughs> I mean, who Maybe wants yes. who wants pain unless you're sadomasochist? Um, most people wouldn't choose that. Just like when you go to the dentist, you'd normally choose and yep, I'd like some anesthetic, please. Uh, other questions? Yes. It seems that everything now is that it's been captured because you know in the eighties I don't think we've seen anything like that in any ceremony, even the Oscars, no. Satan's central. But nothing, you know, and all of a sudden everything is now. I mean, the NFL in America, it's every year now. It's like some heavy suggestive 
I just listened to all the podcasts and that what they what they had their opinions, which has got nothing to do with football. This is always quite funny. Same as this athletics. Yeah. Most of those athletes are Christians. Yes. They just seem to want to like rub people's faces. Like, and it's, it's obviously they have lots of money. They have all the money. That's and very if you want expensive. To participate, it's going to come to a point, I think, where do athletes that's a huge sacrifice? Are they going to actually want to participate in this world in food and for anybody, yeah. any kind of? Because there's just Wherever there's success to be had, this is a stamp and this ownership and this capture that happens. I mean, they show you with their bulls and their mm. vaccines that have 666 all over it and, you know, and they, and they patented the vaccine. Um, so it's almost like you, if you're actually really going to be a Christian, even an athlete who's a very dedicated, you know, person is going to have to eventually say, well, Sorry, I can't participate. Even though they might actually be the potential winner. Yes. It, it is like that. And there was that problem in the old Roman Empire. There was all these pagan, pagan, pagan sacrifices to gods. And you had these Christians who, who might want to take part in athletics, but you know, the Olympics was very much involved in sacrifices beforehand to Apollo and Mars and Jupiter and who knows what else. And, and so um, obviously this is... And that's the way it used to be. But then in the Christian era, there's prayers and praise to God before them. Now we're going back to the pre-Christian pagan era where they're literally worshipping idols, demons, uh, before it. And they are rubbing on those. By the way, just an, another sort of example. My brother-in-law, he had some small tattoo. And uh, he thought it was a, one of the dumbest things he ever did. And he said to his son, my nephew, you ever get a tattoo, I'll kill you. That's the kind of person my brother-in-law was. Uh, but, um, you know, he had a tattoo. But I was like, damn stupid thing, should never have done it. Don't you ever get a tattoo. So, uh, now he wasn't a Christian. Uh, but his, his attitude was he was just so hostile about it. And, but his attitude to his son, now, his son, by God's grace, has gotten saved. Uh, and uh, his wife and children, they all follow the Lord and love the Lord and my sister loves the Lord and follows the Lord all worship in the same church but um, you know it's and he never got any but it's just interesting his dad got it and even as an unregenerate person uh, he was so hostile about it and just smashed his fist down don't you ever dare do something so stupid and um, I've toned down the language uh, because um, and I know people who non-Christians also just look at it as it's just so foolish uh, but what staggers me now is you can go to Bible colleges and find even a majority of the students participate in this. It's staggering that where's the discernment? In my lifetime, I've seen the church move from when I was converted, all the women at Pilots Baptist Church wore hats, dresses, gloves, scarves, the whole thing, you know, right down to the stockings and all that. Uh, and Every man of any age, no matter how young the boy, tie and jacket, and so on. I mean, it's just normal going to church when I was converted in 1977. Now, uh, when we went to Baptist Theological College, we had to wear tie and jacket, white shirt, black tie, every single day for every lecture, and we had to wear academic robes for every chapel, which was every day. When I went there the last few times, it looked like they were on the way to the beach, or the, the one on the way back to the beach. And the lectures didn't look any better. 
and it was like, what's happened? When I went up to UCT in 1977, not that I ever studied there, but I was going up there because I was offered a bursary the next year. My conversion changed my direction. And we went up there time-jacketed. The lecturers were walking around with academic gowns. Most of the students were in dresses or ties and jackets. And, and it wasn't that much longer afterwards. And they all looked like slobs. And then they became rioters. And before you knew it, they were uh, looting, burning, and destroying oils on canvas. So there's, there's a spirit of hostility and rebellion and malice and madness that's taken over society. To see that what used to be considered absolute freakish of the most bizarre drunken sailor gangster before has now totally acceptable for some church leader uh, to be parading on the platform and encouraging people to come forward and get your tattoos during the service on the platform. I mean, how ostentatious is that? None of that fits with the biblical pattern of humility and you know just being quiet and why would you want to be jumping? I suppose it's great for extroverts, but uh, I don't know. It seems to me awfully strange that most pulpits are silent about the subject. And in fact, I was speaking at a, at a Back to the Bible conference in America, and I won't identify a major Back to the Bible conference, and the whole theme was, let's get serious about God, Back to the Bible, this whole thing. And I gave a presentation on body piercing, and it was like outrage. How dare you be so pharisaical, judgmental, and so on and so forth. And uh, I, I mean, there's rebellion, and you know, you'll never be invited back here again. I never was. Um, so, you know, let's get back to the Bible, but not those passages. So, you had a comment? No. Oh, other questions? Yes, Alpha. I was just saying, what's the best way to reach out to these tattoo shops that actually play Christian songs? Because I have a friend, not a very close friend, but she went for like some Yahweh tattoo on her hand um, about last week, and apparently in the tattoo shop they were playing this Christian song where she was like she felt so close to God, and I was like, what? What do you mean you felt closer to God? And she's saying how apparently the tattoo shop, even if it looked dark and everything, they were playing Christian music, and I'm just like, I don't understand what's going on in their strategy. Hmm. Okay. I'd like to know what she calls Christian music. Is it Christian rap? Is it Christian rock? So forth. Uh, I mean, there's some things that they call Christian that's actually more occultic. And then there's some Christian songs that are so vague that pagans play it having no idea it's Christian because there's nothing uniquely uh, Christocentric about it. There's some very, very fluffy stuff out there. So I'd like to know what sort of songs. Well, that's strange because that's a great hymn. <laughs> that's very strange. Yes. Just on the music thing, some people think that if their music doesn't have swear words, then it's Christian. Which is just a bad <laughs> Okay, so that's a that's a pretty low bar. Okay. Yeah. Any other comments, questions, complaints, um, criticisms? Yes. In our prayers, we must just um, bring the situation of the pride march into, into our prayers and pray against it. It's going uh, I don't know about this. When is this coming up? I was quite sure about it. But it's in, in face, on Facebook at the date, but I think it's coming up in March. Where? Cape Town? Cape Town itself. So we must just pray This is some gay pride march. Yes. Hmm. Hmm. Really? Gee. Well, interesting enough, the DA has in Parliament and Provincial Parliament mocked at ANC saying, we've got more homosexuals in the DA than you've got in ANC. Yeah. 
And it's true. Uh, the DA has, uh, and they outstripped the ANC when it comes to promoting perversion. So um, we can also remind the people, pride comes before a fall. God resists the proud. God gives grace to the humble. And gay pride is why Sodom got fried. Again, it's come down to, to money and the power of money. Like, who they're promoting into these high and mighty positions. And it seems that a lot of uh, the, the top echelons of finance are these gay men and lesbian women. And that's a strong position for them to be in. And they probably shouldn't be in it. That's, that's a very interesting point. And it's that the homosexuals have a much higher income and lifestyle percentage to the population than any other. So to portray themselves as victims doesn't fit with it because, in fact, they're more privileged. And they've got all kinds of benefits. And they, they, they generally speak of a much, much, much higher lifestyle. The, to them, to portray themselves as victims is just actually quite bizarre. Um, I know that like, one of the most wealthiest guys in South Africa is CA. Who does he appoint? A gay guy. Mm. You know, straight up, they have, and I know this by personal friends that are hearing and chatting about. And, mm. uh, you know, he comes from a very conservative family, and uh, he's kind of bullied his father into, you know, acceptance. And his brother's very successful, and he's very successful, and that, that, that's what seems to win the, win the day. Mm. Father's an old policeman, hardcore, old values. How do you compete against that? He's now a multi-millionaire. You know, he's got the world at his feet. Mm. Pentons at his feet. You know, that, that's what the kind of power that, that you're going up against. Yeah. In, in terms of money. And, uh, I've heard from people studying in the film industry that they could sometimes be the only straight, non-pervert in their class. I grew up not knowing that there was such a thing as a homosexual until I think I must have been 20 or 21 before I actually learned that there was such a thing as homosexual. No, we did have homo jokes, but I, I had no idea there was anything real about, you know, like I'll stab you with my lipstick and hit you with my handbag or something like this. And so there was some, seeing it as some limp-wristed, effeminate-type males, but we had no idea that there was anything like it. It was more like a joke. And uh, now the poor guys in Preschool probably know about it. And, you know, there I was out of school. I was in the army and I didn't even know there was such a thing as a homosexual. I must have been 26 before I even was aware of the existence of pornography. And that's where it should be. You should be protecting this junk. And now our poor kids are facing temptations we never faced. That's just not right. Yeah, any other comments, observations? Um, over in the States, the there's quite a, quite a big movement that's uh, arranged where certain companies are identified for being boycotted. Mm. Uh, for example, Disney is laying with 7,000 employees. Mm. You know, they're all saying, go work for a group. This is this. So, I think there was got a responsibility to do this support. Yes. You know, because um, it's, not, it's happened to the media. I mean, you know the ratings for CNN and absolutely in the toilet. And so this is the way to go. Um, don't support these people if you know about them. Right. I think that's good. Look, you may say, well, what difference does my little yeah. bit of 
customers. Well, collectively, it's, it's very significant. So if I choose, if I've got a choice between supporting the local Muslim shopkeeper or supplier and a Christian, I should support the Christian. I've got a chance of supporting some straight Muslim versus some homosexual business. I'll support the straight Muslim and so on. If I can support family values with where I go or fundings and so on. And if you've got some company that's promoting, whether it's BBBEE, affirmative action or LGBTQ or whatever it is, cancel culture, why not use your commercial buying power and support that which at least doesn't conflict with your values, preferably which promotes your values. And, you know, that, that's one way that we can strengthen ourselves. Have you noticed how strong the Muslim communities are because they stick together? And sometimes you can see the Greek community and the Portuguese community sticking together. I don't know if they still do it as much as used to the Italians because the mafia really stuck together. Um, and, uh, but if, if we would just support Christians with similar values more often whenever we've got a choice, that alone would make a big difference. And uh, I felt during the lockdowns, uh, at that point, uh, it thought... Why should we support these big companies? Isn't it funny? Instead of closing down the macros and the pick and pays and letting the small corner shops run by mom and pop, no, they closed down the small ones and they left the big... So you could see big business, big pharma, big government, big media, big tech, they're all in bed together. And they were crushing the small guy and the middle guy. That's just not right. And that's where we had to go out of our way to support the local farmers and the local fruit and veg people. Why should... We give our customers uh, always to the ones who are trying to destroy our values and well, our stance, our faith.